All right, the next few weeks, we're going to be discussing giving. And I'd like to turn to Luke chapter 6. If you have a Bible, or it might be up behind me here, Luke chapter 6, verse 38. And I'm going to read it real quickly out of the... uh, out of the NIV, but I also want to read it out of the King James Version. Given, it'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, let's look at this in King James. Go back up there, please. Given, it'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet withal, Please raise your hand if you've used the word withal in the last month. Okay. (laughs) It shall be measured to you again. Given it shall be given to you. Pressed down, shaking together, running over. That's what we're going to talk about today. Melinda and I were church planters in the 90s, from 95 to 2000. For five years, we planted a church in New England. And we actually planted a church in Rhode Island, and literally, Rhode Island, the literal island, is where we were. The locals called it a quidnick, and it was about eight to ten miles long, three or four miles wide, three little towns on there, like a city and two other little towns. And then there was another island, the island was called Connecticut, and there was a city on there, a little town called Jamestown. Jamestown, Newport, Middletown, Portsmouth, these these four cities. And so we planted a church in that area, drove into town with the junk in our car, got open doors, kids' ministry, families, counseling, schools, all kinds of wonderful, wonderful years, beautiful years for us. And so my pastor, he lived in Maryland, and he was coming up to Connecticut to speak, and he was kind of a big deal in the organization where I was connected. So he's coming up, and he's going to fly into Providence, from Baltimore to Providence, an easy little one-hour hop up there. So he calls me. He says, hey, man, I'm flying into Providence, and they were going to send someone over to get me, but I'd rather if you come up and get me and just drive me over into, like, Hartford area. It was about an hour and a half, and just drive me over to Hartford, and then we can hang out together, have some time in the car. You can be with me while I'm preaching these these special services, and, and we'll have that time together, which I thought was awesome wonderful, super excited, except the car that I had to pick him up in was a a late model Escort, and he's bigger than I am, and I wasn't sure the seat was going to give him enough room, and something magical about 55 miles an hour happened in that car, that whenever we hit that cruising speed, things started to do this. And I thought we might be at 55 for a reasonable amount of that trip. And thus my prophecy was, in fact, fulfilled. I pick him up at the airport, big hug, he hops in. He Well, let's not call it hop. Let's call it works his way in to my front seat. And so we're cruising the escort, heading west into Connecticut. And we hit that magic number, 55. I'm hearing Sammy Hagar. Is anyone else hearing Sammy Hagar? I can't drive 55, or am I the only sinner in the am I the only sinner in the room? Okay. Karen and Gwen and I. All right. Google it later. So we hit that magic number, 55, and things start rattling. Things start shaking. 
and I'm trying to be apologetic. And I'm a church planner, for goodness sakes, man, right? Come on. I'm out on the front line sacrificing, but I felt, I felt bad. Uh, I'm not a big shame fan, but I might have felt something close to that, a little bit of shame to the car and, and that, and you're trying to drive faster, and then you got to hit it, you're going to rattle again, and then you go slower, and you pick it back up. And you know when you're at 45, you're going to hit it. You know you're going to hit it. You can't skip. And so we just rattle, 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 rattle. He has a big church, a wealthy church. He's a man of means himself, successful. And at one point, he said, pull off at this exit. And I'm like, this is not our exit. He's like, pull off at this exit. Why? We're going to get you some new tires. And I said, we are not getting me new tires. These are fine. He said, pull off. Yes, pastor. So I pull off, and we find some tire place, and we pull into the tire store, and I'm aggravated. I'm just, like, if you bumped me, I would have, like, done that to you. Like, I was just, I was just edgy and ticked off and aggravated. Aggravated that the car was the way it was. Aggravated that he's going to buy me tires. What am I, six? I'm a grown man building a church in a city, and I can live on my own, and Papa Bear sweeps in and buys me tires. It aggravated me. I was ticked off. I was edgy and frustrated and aggravated. And so I remember us, we go to the counter and they, they say, four, four new tires, please, you know. And so we're sitting there and I'm just, I don't know, I'm probably emanating something. And he looks over at me and he's like, what is your problem? And I'm like, you're buying me tires. Yes. I'm like, well, I, I'm not your kid, you know, and and on and on and on. You get it. And he looked at me, and he quoted this verse. He said, give and it will be given to you. Press down, shaken together, and running over. And that's the part that most of us focus on. Will you throw that up there again, Jeremy? But the part that he focused on was the last phrase. Give it, it'll be given to you. Press down, shaken together, running over. He says, the scripture tells us that men give to you. This is men giving to you. Why don't you grow up and say thanks? So, quickly, I grew up and said, <laughs> you know, that finally, I, thanks. It came out. Thank you. Thanks. Wouldn't trade that moment. Would not trade that moment. Pivotal. Pivotal in my life of living for God. To just say thank you. To recognize that men bless us. Women bless us. I think many times we can sit back and just say, given it'll be given, pressed down, shaken together, running over and I am ready. And we look this way. When the blessing comes from this way, comes from other people to us. And frankly, the humility that it takes to receive that from someone else. You know, we often think it takes humility to give. Mm. It takes humility to receive. I shall never forget this moment either. 
right before we went to that city in New England, we were helping Melinda's parents who pastored a church in Ohio. And we'd been there for about a year and a half. Her dad was the pastor, and we were helping him lead that church. About a year and a half, and this calling just kept getting bigger and bigger. And so we set a date. In fact, today, I was looking at our format for the day, January 22nd, and I thought, January 22nd, 1995, I rolled out and showed up in that place. Amazing. It struck me this morning in the meeting. So right before we left her parents, they wanted to bless us. And this wasn't a wealthy church. And it wasn't people of means. It was southeast Ohio in a city where the factories had gone away. There was a lot of poverty, a lot of struggle. The age of the church was older by far than the age of our church. And I will never forget Melinda and I standing in front. They said, Andy, Melinda, come down in the front. And we stood there. And do you know what happened in that moment? People got up and walked down the aisle and handed us cards and gifts and money. And I would have rather they not. It was such an humbling moment because we knew these folks. Melinda definitely knew them. She'd lived with them for decades. Grandmas that were on, like, fixed income situations for decades. I mean, a few hundred bucks would walk up and give you $100 in a card. You want to go, no, 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 you keep that. But I would have been violating a beautiful principle. You see, given it shall be given unto you. You know how it gets given to you, right? You give. It does not say, we'll be giving it to you and then you give. It says, you give and it will be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. But it's men and women. It's our brothers and sisters. It's we in this room. We are the ones that walk that aisle, that bless people. We're the ones that have the means, whatever it may be, to help somebody's life be better. It's difficult for me when I think about some family members that I have. My sister-in-law has a family, brother, you know, people near family that could write a $150,000 check right now like I could reach in my pocket and give you five bucks. And it won't even be a blip on the balance sheet. They're like, people won't even catch it. They won't even see it. No joke. There are folks among us, and when we have that, and it's our gift, and it's our skill set, and it's our place, right? We can walk up and be such a blessing. I'm going to go on record here, guess, that my pastor probably doesn't even remember buying those tires. And ready for this? He probably didn't even buy them. He probably pulled out the church card, and the church bought them for me. All y'all that think I buy you tanks of gas, that's not me either. Like, it's a church card. Every dollar you give, every single dollar you give that's not designated, 10% of that goes into a fund, an account, specifically to give to people. Specifically. That's what it's for. It's outflow. So you're already a part of that, but I'm talking about the very intentional parts of that. You see, he was a channel of God's blessing. He was a channel. 
There wasn't a pathway, and he created a pathway. Changed my life. In professional and scientific writing, if you've uh, done a college paper, if you've done something in grad school or a scientific journal or done any kind of research or any kind of thing like that, you might see when you have to cite the source, the source is author, right? Author, date, and there are all kinds of different ways to do it, and MLA and APA and all kinds of different confusing things that people with nothing better to do. <laughs> Change it every year, right? And so you'd have author, date, and you might have this thing and it's, 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 it's a phrase, and it's used all the time when multiple people are involved. It's called et al. Et al. E-T, et, A-L, all, et al. So, if it's a paper that's written by Smith, Schaus, Stewart, and Comer... If I'm the primary author, the citation would say, Smith et al. Sometimes you'll have six or seven people working on a project. It will not say all the, you won't list seven names. You'll list the primary author et al. I began to think about that as I thought about this concept of us giving and channels of giving. I thought of Luke chapter 10. When Jesus has people together, he has this group of people together, 70 people. And he says, I need you two to go, and if you two will go, and you two and you two, and you two and you two, you two will go, and you two will go, and I need you two to go. You two will go. You guys will go. You two will go. He sends out 70 two by two. And what happens when he sends them out? Oh, they give. <laughs> they give healing. They give hope. They give life change. They bring deliverance to people. They create a pathway from Jesus, the main author, to the people in need. They create that pathway, and that's what I think of. Jesus et al. Do you hear that beautiful sound? That is ivory crying in this church for the first time. <laughs> it's Jesus et al. Everything we do, who gets the citation? Because you know otherwise it's plagiarism. Mm. not interested in plagiarizing, not interested in acting like it's coming from me because it's not. I'm interested in letting people know who it's coming from, but I'm sure happy to be a part. I'm sure happy to be part of the package, part of the crew that he uses, and he uses everybody in here as a channel of blessing, everybody. When Jesus does a work in someone's life, he used someone else to do it. There was a conduit. There was a person, a connection, a pathway. We had a funny thing when I got ordained in the ministry. <laughs> we had this, we had this uh, 
application kind of thing, and it asks you how many people you won to Jesus. And I used to look at that, and I'm like, what a dumb question. How many people did I individually, with no help from anyone else, solitarily in the box in the backyard, went back, fed them, talked to them about the Lord, me and them, that person? Like, what does that mean? I, who wins someone to Jesus by themselves? Not very often. But it's a touch here, and it's a touch from that person, and it's a statement here, and a smile there, and a hug, and a song, and a moment. You sing a song that opens someone's heart. Someone does a transition that opens a person to connection. And then someone else in the back of the room just comes over and prays for them. And then on the way out, there was a comment in the lobby or out in the parking lot. And someone just, just a wave. Good to see you today. Hope to see you again. Know that we love you. And they take that away in the car. Which one was it? But so many of us, you see, because it's God that works in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. It's God that works in us. God's working in you. He's working in all of us. It doesn't happen without you. Now, maybe you know this already, but I feel like I have an interesting seat at the table. I feel like I have an interesting spot where I can sit here and realize that as our church is growing, and as ministries are happening, and connections are happening, and groups are meeting, and ministries expand, and lives are being changed, all those kinds of things happening, it is super easy for me to sit back here and realize I cannot do this on my own. Very, very easy. One of the easiest things that I have to do every week, <laughs> easy, to sit back and recognize God is moving in this place, and I can't do it on my own, know that, and I'm not even responsible for most of what's going on. And there are people in this room that I haven't met yet. I don't know your name. I don't even know who you're connected to to get here. I connected with someone last week. I just met him in the parking lot. This is usually what I say. Hi, I'm Andy. How did you get here? Like, how'd you get here? And they, if they're funny, they're like, we drove a car. I'm like, huh. And then we do that, huh, okay. And then we, like, how'd you get here? And one person was connected to somebody, which was amazing. And, and I'm like, well, that person wasn't even here today. And like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, you know what I think about that? Well, awesome. Wonderful. You're not connected to me, but you're connected to somebody. And that somebody is connected to Jesus. We're connected to Jesus. This thing doesn't get done without you. I'm not talking about building Christ's way. I'm talking about the kingdom. Kingdom work doesn't happen without you. And it started back in Luke 10 when Jesus said, I need 70 folks, please, and head out. What do you think Jesus did? Probably went to a coffee shop. What do you think he did? <laughs> Caught soccer in the afternoon, waited. I mean, what was he doing? He just sent them out in his spirit with them. You see how that works? He uses you. What if Arnick decided that he was just not going to use his gift? Your life would change. Your life would have changed today. 
doesn't mean there's, I, there are people in here who can play the keyboard. But what if he just said, nah, I don't, I don't think so. The people that did transitions today, what if they're just like, nah, okay. You know the problem with that is we don't even really get to know what we're missing. Unless you've tasted of it already. Five years ago, we didn't know what we were missing because you weren't here. Before Maggie Johnson got up here to preach or Kelsey Lucas got up here to preach, you didn't even know what you were missing. And then they got up here to speak. And what if they said, ah, no, no, I'm not. One day, Arnick and I, I'm going to give you a little behind the curtain. One day, Arnick and I, we're going to sing Goodness of God. All my life, you have been faithful. That, that song? We were going to sing it. We were planning to sing it. You and I were planning to sing it. And then I think you were just playing the keyboard, I think. She was just, she was just, Talisha was just slotted to play the keyboard. Talisha, who played the keyboard today was just slotted to play the keyboard. And Arnick and I are here, and we're all here, and we, he and I are prepping, and I'm going to sing, we're going to do that, and something struck me, and I said, you know, I don't really think I'm the one that's supposed to sing this. And you had a choice right there. And we're very glad you said yes, because you sing that better than he and I do. It's the truth. What parts of the kingdom are not being felt, realized, experienced. Frankly, because you're saying, ah, hmm. You need to wear that. You need to hear it. It's not a guilt trip. It's about maximizing the presence of the kingdom. It's about stepping into spaces for which you have a gift. And it's not just this stuff, it's listening. It's a gift of prayer. It's a gift of sensitivity. It's a gift of insight. It's a gift of care. Right, we know the gifts of the Spirit, prophecy and healing and faith and miracles, all right. There's also hospitality, right? The people that welcome people, the folks that say yes to stand out in that hallway and miss the first couple songs, because they want you to know that we are glad you are here because we're glad you're here. That. Those are channels of blessing. Those are doorways. Those are pathways. And I'll just tell you right now, don't squander your gift. I'm calling you. I'm asking you. Don't squander your gift. Squander means to just flush it, put it away, kick it to the side. Don't do that. I'll tell you a couple things that are true. You know, you can only give what you have. I mean, who in here, when we're talking about keyboard, I'm like, okay, Arnick, Arnick said he's not playing anymore. Anybody? Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> People are like, uh, I was thinking about playing. Can I do it? You know, you, like, I don't play the keyboard. You can only give what you have to give. In the, in the, in the early writings of the, the Hebrew scriptures in Genesis, there's a story about Cain and Abel and their brothers. And Cain was a farmer and Abel was a shepherd. 
And Cain offered grain and wheat and crops. And Abel offered a lamb. And God accepted Abel and did not accept Cain. Did not accept those offerings. Accepted Abel's offering, did not accept Cain's offering. Some people, and maybe you're right if this is where you land the plane, some people believe that Abel's was accepted because it was a lamb and Jesus is a lamb and that whole thing. I'm pretty sure Abel had no idea about that. What I do know the scripture says is that Cain offered a sacrifice and Abel offered the fat of what he had. How would we say that? The best. Cain is a farmer. He's not a shepherd, but he could offer the best. So you can only offer what you have. He may not have had a a sheep to offer. I have, to, I have to sing to be used in the kingdom? No. I have to speak publicly to be used in the kingdom? No. What's your gift? You know how you know your gift? It's how you see stuff. Your passion. Just, just figure out what you see in a day. Figure out what matters to you in a day. That'll tell you, that'll get you way down the road on what your gifting probably is. By how you see stuff. Where you spend your time. Where you want to be. Where life-giving. The things that are life-giving to you. That'll help you know. The kingdom needs you. So, you can only give what you have, number one. But number two, you do have something to give. Every one of us has something to give. So as I shut her down this morning, we often share prayer requests. We did it this morning. Before we come out here, we, we, we meet, we cover what we think is going to happen throughout the day and transitions and things like that. And then we usually say, hey, anybody have any prayer needs, right? And when we ask for prayer requests, what do we do? We, we say, okay, you tell me this, and I'm going to start talking to Jesus about it. This room became a prayer room a while ago, right? People all over the place. Some folks just even coming up to folks in the middle of the room and all over. We often share those prayer requests. But if you knew that Jesus had a prayer request, what would you do? I mean, it's one thing for me to say, hey, you help me pray about this? But if you knew that Jesus had a prayer request, what would you do? Would you want to pray? If Jesus, if Jesus shows up and he says, hey, I got a prayer request, <laughs> we're like, okay, cool, we're ready to pray about it. Would you, would you want to pray about it? Or would you want to answer it? If Jesus gave you a prayer request, would you say, gotcha, JC, I'm praying about that one? Or would you say, we don't have to pray about that, I can answer it? Can you? We think Jesus answers our prayer request. Can we answer his prayer request? Matthew 9, 38. Matthew 9, 38. Jesus says, pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, and he'll send laborers into the harvest. You know who's saying that? That's Jesus. Jesus is saying, let's pray that laborers go into the harvest. We're sitting around. You got a prayer need, Bo? Yeah, yeah, we got the new baby coming. We'll pray about that. You got a prayer need? Yeah, yeah, this transition here. And I'm working there and that thing at the job. And Jesus raises his hand. <laughs> he says, I'd like to pray that laborers go into the harvest. All right, we're going to pray about that. Do you want to pray about his prayer request or do you want to answer it? 
because you can answer it. Somebody says, man, I need 20 bucks. Let me pray about that. Some of us don't have to pray about that at all. Haven't you been in a situation where someone said something to you and you're like, "Uh, we don't have to pray about that at all. Follow me. (laughs) I can help you. I'm really needing a tank full of gas. We don't have to pray about that a second. We can go help you. I need some groceries. All we got to do is schedule a time to meet. We don't have to pray about that a minute. I need this. I need my electric bill covered. We have money exactly for that. You came to the right place. We don't have to pray about that a second. Jesus is asking for labors in the field. Do we have to pray about that? Or can we just simply say, I can answer that one. (laughs) I can actually become an answer to Jesus' prayer. What's your space? Where's it going to be? Every single person in here has something that you can give to be a face in someone's story. There might have been a day I was cool. That ship has probably sailed. I'm more grandpa-y now to people. But there are folks that I went up to someone the other day, literally, I went up to this young couple the other day, And I said, hey, you guys are squandering your gift. They're like, what do you mean? I said, you two are so cool. (laughs) You've got to be in front of kids. You've got to place your physical bodies in front of our kids who adore you. Because you, by your very existence and sense of coolness, create pathways They want to hear you. They want to be around you. They want to listen to you. And I told them, I'm like, you're squandering your gift. You love Jesus. He's important to you. Get yourself in front of kids. Because you will create a pathway that some of us just, we're not able to do that. But you can by your very existence. If it's benevolence or hospitality or care or cooking or baking or serving, where is that space? Let me ask a rhetorical question. Am I leaving anyone out this morning? No. No. Every single person here, every single person here has a spot in the kingdom where we go out and it's Jesus at all. He's the one working. He's the author. And he's like, I need, my prayer request is that people work the field. And we're like, we don't, you with me? We don't have to pray about that, do we? We don't have to pray about that one. I I can answer that. I can answer that prayer, Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you for the privilege to serve you. Thank you for the privilege to be in community. Thank you for the privilege to walk together. Thank you for the giftings that you give us. We do work on those things. We work on trying to be sensitive, trying to be aware, trying to learn things, trying to hone our skills. We work on that stuff. But a lot of it is just you put it in us. You highlight it. You make the timing perfect. So, Lord, I pray that blessing of awareness across this room. 
awareness across this room that people would come to Jeremy and Melinda and Jamie and Christine and talk to them about hospitality. That they'd come to me and talk about discovery, serving and baptism. That they'd come to Josh and Mindy and talk to them about groups. Hosting them, leading them, guiding them, serving in them. That they'd come to Delhi and Kelly. They'd talk about student ministry. They talk about getting in front of people. We don't hunt them down anymore. They show up. People show up and say, hey, that's, that, that one's me. That one's me. I feel, I feel called into that space. In our nursery, with our babies, with our teenagers, with our school-aged children. That we move through into mission. That we move through into giving. People are coming to Arnett, one to serve in the booth, one to serve on the stage, one to serve behind the scenes. People with administrative gifting show up, make connections, create pathways. People start standing in the parking lot welcoming folks, praying over this building when folks aren't even here. People called to prayer step into a spot where they just release their words because you put an anointing on them to do it. When mentors are needed and they're needed everywhere, that we partner with someone and we walk with them and we share the stories of our life. Let that be so. You're calling us into it. It is our privilege to be an answer to your prayer. Thank you for the privilege. Pray in your name, Jesus. Right before we go, I'm going to ask Tony to come up and transition us out today. I just told Melinda as I walked by, I said, pray I don't cry this time. You know? um, it, it's such a sweet spot to be in um, when we talk about giving. And the first thing that goes to everybody's mind is typically money. Oh, great, here they go. You know, and it, 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 it's about that sometimes. Um, if any of you know my dear friend Chuck Guest here, he and I were college roommates way back before we had our Santa Claus beards going on. And we used to talk about you know, God's faithfulness and his provision, and God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and he'd always tag in all the potatoes in those hills underneath, you know. God doesn't, God doesn't need our money, you know, if we talk, if you want to be able to tie it down to money. It's about your heart and, and where you're, what you're chasing and what you're doing, and um, Pastor has a phrase that he and I bicker about. I'll use that word. Um, you know, you don't have to give here, but give somewhere, whether that's your time, your finances, whatever it might be, and I said, well, kind of like when they give here from the aspect of you your proof is in your pursuit what you believe in and what you what you think will make a difference you invest in and so when we see folks invest their time here and their energy and their finances I get excited because that means they believe in what I believe in what we're doing and where we're going and oh my goodness the things we can do and and you know just uh I don't know when that conversation between you and Arnick and Talisha was you're not going to make it. But I remember that Sunday. It was a pivotal moment I, in my life. I remember that anointing and that pure, all my life, you've been faithful. And that wasn't about somebody giving their money. 
It was about somebody giving themselves and letting God flow through them. And there were so many opportunities and so many avenues for that. And so we get excited when we come together as a body and we chase after those things. And, the, and I'll end with this. There's this beautiful story in the book of Philippians. And if, you, if you're not careful, you miss it. And Paul writes and he says, thank you. You gave to me. You took care of me. And you were the only church that did. Nobody else reached out, you know, and, and I, you, you were faithful, and I want to thank you for that. And, and he says, I've learned to be great when I've got everything, and I've learned to be great when I don't have everything. And he says in verse 17, he says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. I'm so excited about what God's going to do in your life. Because you invested, and you poured in, and you made a difference, and you, you offered something up. And the verse we tend to go to is, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Yay! That's exciting. That's at the end, after they invested, after they gave of themselves and their time. And so this week, I encourage you, open up. What is it, God? What are you calling me to do or to give of my time, my resources, and my skills? Where do you want me to link together? And I'm excited, not because of that gift, because of the fruit that will be deposited into your account as a result. Oh, it's an amazing place to live. Let's pray real quick. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Words do not describe your faithfulness, your immeasurable giving to us, your sacrifice. Father, this week, encourage us just to take a moment to think, God, where would you use me? Where would you point me? What would you have of me give of myself this week to make a difference in somebody else's life, to be a face in somebody's story? Father, as a, as a body and as a group of people, we are excited to hear the outcome of that and the life change that comes as a result of that. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Have a great day. Thank you for being here.